Good morning. Well, this morning, as a song uh, we just heard Marty Faye just sang, praying for the Spirit of God to come and lead us and guide us as we open up His Word and grow us, challenge us, and make us more like Him. Let's uh, turn with me to Matthew chapter 6. And we're in the series in Matthew. It's been exciting for us because we have been studying about our Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing more exciting than studying about our Lord and what He has done in this world and when He was here. And the things He says are absolutely spectacular and profound. It's interesting for us to study through it. And in fact, we could take years and years going through everything He says because every single word carries tremendous meaning. But let's take the time to turn to Matthew chapter 6, and we're in verses 1 through 4 today. And the title of the sermon was The Secret Service. It's about hypocrisy. But let's read this passage together and gather our minds around what Jesus is saying. Verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's found in the word of prayer. Our Father, we come to you now and we're, we're convicted, Lord, by what Jesus says here, that hypocrites have no inheritance in the kingdom of God. And we're studying through this topic of hypocrisy today. We know, Father, that this message will convict us because we are all, in many ways, pretenders. But Father, would you change us and grow us and make us more like your Son? Help us to understand that there is no shame because... Jesus Christ has indeed taken away our shame. We don't have to be embarrassed. We can admit that we're sinners before you and receive salvation. We pray, Father, that we walk away with grace today to know that we have forgiveness in Christ, to know that we're loved. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. In this world, we spend a lot of time making ourselves look good. We do. You know, I, for me, I saw the rise of social media in my lifetime. I saw the rise of Zanga. If you've ever heard about Zanga, happened in the 1990s. Then there's MySpace. Then there's Friendsters. They all kind of came and go. Finally, Facebook came along. Facebook became more and more popular in my day. Eventually, even I got a Facebook account. It's my first social media thing that I ever used. I use it rarely, though. I never really go on it, never really post on it. However, they came to a point in my life where people tell me, I need to be posting on Facebook more. And you might be surprised when that time came. That time actually came for me when I became a pastor of a church plant. You ask how? Well, starting a church plant is much like starting a new business in a sense. It's expected that people would know more about you and more about your church plan and what is happening because a small church, you're seeking to gather social media influence about your church plan, maybe people will come when they see um, the things that you do, whether it be your uh, VBS, your community groups, your Bible studies. You put pictures of nice people on your social media and people are smiling and people are more welcome to come. 
But I found out that social media actually presents to the evil side for pastors and for churches. In a sense that on social media, we present ourselves to be much better than who we truly are. We present ourselves to be greater than we are. Amazing things happen, but things aren't really that great here in the church. I know pastors who post amazing things that are happening in their church, happening in their lives, but in reality, their marriages are struggling. In reality, they're struggling leading their family. In reality, they're struggling in their own personal holiness. Now, when everybody believes the lie that you're presenting on social media and every other kind of platform, whether you tell people who you are, and people expect you to be that kind of person, it becomes hard for a spiritual leader, for anybody, to come on and say, you know what, I'm not what you think I am. It becomes hard to come on and say, no, I failed in my holiness. It becomes hard to fail people because everyone expects you to keep the show going. Everyone expects you to be who you said you are. In fact, you believe that you should continue to say that because the ministry must go on. People must be served. So you put on a show. However, you find your breaking point at one point or the other. A pastor commits a disqualifying sin, commits adultery, the church then becomes surprised, happens all the time. They wonder, how long has the pastor been doing this? How long has this thing been going on? But the reality is that this person has been walking away from the Lord for a very, very long time. He's been pretending. The pressure to keep the lie going started when he had to keep up external experience that does not match what he truly is on the inside. The scripture calls the sin the sin of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy kills us. Hypocrisy exists when we present ourselves to be someone who we are not. You might be a hypocrite today if you tell the people that you're with at First Baptist Church of Hollywood is your church, but you rarely come. You might be a hypocrite. You might be a hypocrite today when you tell everybody that your life is going well and everything is going good, while in reality your marriage is falling apart, in reality your relationship with your family breaking. You might be a hypocrite today if you post beautiful pictures of yourself opening up your Bibles in your coffee shop with a nice coffee, take a picture of it and post on Instagram. You're doing a great personal Bible study and never liked it, put likes on your Instagram profile, while in reality you never do any personal devotion. You don't regularly do personal devotion. The danger of hypocrisy lies in the fact that not only do we lie to ourselves, we lie to others, and then the fact that we lie to others, we begin to lie to ourselves and we believe the lie as well. We think that we're good with God, but God sees through it. He knows that we're not that good. In fact, we're the opposite of what we present ourselves to be. God sees our life, He sees our pretense, He sees our life of sin, and He absolutely hates it. In reality, each one of us, we're all sinners before God in our hearts. We're all rotten to the core. And God in His holiness and justice will judge all sinners, including the sin of us pretending to be someone who we're not. However, God today is going to give you a reason why you don't have to pretend anymore. You don't have to pretend anymore because He loves you as you are. And that is what the gospel message really is. 
Jesus came and says, you know what, I will die for your sins. I will pay for every single penalty of your sin and give you my righteousness if you will just admit that you're a sinner. If you admit that you're rotten to the core, if you admit that you're not that great and you need a savior, I will save you. He did so in this way. He came and he died on the cross. While he was dying on the cross, he was paying for the penalty of our sins. He lived a perfect life in which he never sinned his life. And while on the cross, he gave that perfect life to us as if we lived that perfect life. He's giving us the path of salvation in which we don't have to live the life anymore. We don't have to live the life which we're saints. No, we get to admit that we're sinners. We get to admit that we're not that great, but we're saved by grace. We get to live unhypocritically that we're sinners saved by grace. From the grace of God which God gives to us, we then live for Him. Because the Holy Spirit who is in our heart changes our hearts to love God. So we do love God. We do live for Him. Imperfectly though, but we give it all. We give all who we are for Him alone. So in this passage in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, we're going to find that God is calling us to live for Him and Him alone. Outside this church, outside of the gospel, the world which we live in is full of lies. It's full of lies. It's telling us to lie, to present yourself as someone who you're not, to present yourself as someone who is better than who you are, to fake it until you make it, so it says. But in reality, our lives do not match. Our externals do not match who we are on the inside. And whenever that happens, it kills us. It kills us to keep up the lie. Hypocrisy kills us. Living up to false expectations kills us. Today, however, if we embrace who we truly are, that we are sinners, that we need Jesus to save us, then we don't have to pretend anymore. Don't have to pretend anymore. We're saved by grace. We're saved by Jesus Christ who lived out a perfect life and gave his perfect life to us. You see, the Holy Spirit changes us and grows us as we're born again in Christ. We do have a love for God because the Spirit of God puts that love within us. So today we give it all, unhypocritically, imperfectly though, to live for God. But in this passage in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1 through 4, we're going to see that God looks at our heart. He's wondering, are you giving it all to live for Him? Are you giving it all? He wants us to give it all for Him and Him alone. But in order to do so, we must first see a life of a hypocrite. Jesus is going to teach us what not to do. He's going to teach us the life of one who's faking it. And first, we're going to see a hypocrite is one who serves and who gives to receive praises from others. A hypocrite is the one who serves and gives in order to receive praise and honor from other people. Let's read here in verse 1 through 2. Verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do, in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. Now, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus 
in the context of the law is showing all who are listening to him how they may be saved. How they can be a true believer and what it means to belong to the kingdom of God. A true believer ultimately is going to live for God and God alone. Jesus is warning all who watches the life of the Pharisees and the scribes that they're living and giving for all men to see. They're hypocrites. And the Pharisees and scribes are living their lives as actors. They're living their lives producing this righteous deeds only that they may be seen by other people. But the fact that they're motivated by the respect and the honor of others, it means that they don't really have a relationship with God at all. You see, in the context of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is showing to all that salvation can only be obtained through believing unto Jesus Christ. He's speaking to a crowd here. The crowd includes of all kinds of people, includes people who are his disciples, as well as people who are not. Includes the Pharisees who are spying on him, including those who hold to the teaching of the Pharisees. As Jesus now teaches to all people that they must believe unto him so that they may have his righteousness, the Pharisees and scribes are having an issue, having a problem understanding why they even need Jesus. They thought they were righteous already. They thought they are good enough already. They thought that by their own righteous deeds, which is produced through their own rabbinic traditions and their own oral traditions, their own do's and don'ts, by doing these things, they're righteous. But the rabbinic traditions only produce righteous life externally. They don't govern the inside of your heart. They thought the inside doesn't matter. If they're plenty good on the outside, they should be accept, accepted into heaven. They thought they were good. They're good before God. Even though the Pharisees thought they were good on the outside, the reality is that they were wrong on the inside. So therefore, Jesus went to tell them that. He went straight for the juggler and told them who they truly honor the inside. You see, the law of God does not just govern who you are on the outside. It also governs who you are on the inside. And the Pharisees have completely missed the point of the law of God. So what the Pharisees taught in chapter 5, we saw is this. They taught that murder is a sin if you murder someone externally, physically murder someone, that is. Jesus says, hey, if you ever were angry with your brother unrighteously, you have committed murder in your heart. The Pharisees taught that adultery is when you sleep with someone outside of your marriage. You break a marriage vow. Jesus taught if you have looked at someone with lustful eyes, you have committed adultery in the heart. The Pharisees taught you only have to love those who you prefer, those who you are your friends. Jesus says, if you fail to love everyone, including your enemies, you failed in loving as God calls you to love. You sinned. Jesus commands perfection according to Matthew chapter 5, verse 48. It says, you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That is God's law, both inside and outside. Now, given that none of us are that, none of us really in our own lives, by ourselves, are righteous as God is righteous, the reality it presents to us is that we must trust and believe unto Jesus because He is the only one who lived out that righteousness and through Him we're perfect as God is perfect. This is the way of salvation. The way of salvation is not to pretend that you are righteous on the outside as the hypocrites do because none of us are any good on the inside. We all know we have sin in our hearts. If we dive deep, to more, dive deep into the recess of our souls, we know that we're sinners. Jesus here is teaching us that if you want salvation, embrace. 
Embrace the fact that you're sinners before God and cry out to Him for salvation. He will give you His righteousness if you ask Him for it. You will be made righteous through Christ who lived out perfect righteousness for you. So to show to all that trusting and believing in Jesus is the only way for salvation, Jesus begins to reveal the hypocrisy of the Pharisees here in verse 1 of chapter 6. He says this. He says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. In the days of Jesus, that's what the Pharisees were doing. They were practicing outside righteous deeds in order to be seen by other people. We see what they were doing here in verse 1, really through verse 18, if you're going to go through this passage in the Sermon on the Mount. The three things they were doing to be righteous in front of others. They were giving to be seen, they were praying to be seen, and thirdly, they were fasting to be seen. They were doing it for one reason, one, or one reason alone, which Jesus says, to be seen by others. That's what motivates them, to be seen. The word seen comes from the Greek word theomai, which is the word we get the word theater from. It's the word theater. These people are actors. Jesus calls them hypocrites. Hypocrite, if you know what the Greek word hypocrites really means to be stage actors. Those two words come together. You're theaters. You're a stage actor on a theater platform. You're acting for all to see. You're putting on righteous deeds for all to see. You're seeking for applauses from those who you are performing to. That's what Jesus is saying. That's what Jesus is saying what the Pharisees are doing. Jesus is making one point clear here. The Pharisees and the scribes and the religious elites, they're living their lives as actors for all to see, doing these righteous deeds in order to receive applauses from other people. They were living a highly religious environment in ancient Judaism. If they live out righteousness, there's a lot of benefits to them. They can rise up in social status, they can be respected, they can perhaps even get more money from respect and honor. But they're only doing it to be seen. They're not receiving, they're not doing it for God. So this is really what God is saying here. God is saying, whoever you perform to, and listen, whoever you perform to is whom you're going to receive rewards from. If you perform for man, as he did here, as Jesus here says here in verse 1, you're going to receive rewards from men. If we perform for God, you will receive rewards from God. And since these Pharisees are performing for men, it gives to the fact that they really don't have a real relationship with God. What motivates them to live out righteous living is so that they may be seen, so that they may receive benefits. They really are doing it from pride. They will receive no rewards from God. Now, hypocrisy really occurs when you are outside does not match who you are on the inside. We said this already. In fact, two people could be doing exactly the same thing. One person can be a hypocrite while the other person can be doing it from a genuine love for God. You can see this in the story of Ananias and Sapphira in the Bible. If you know the story of that particular incident, the church started in Acts chapter Five, it was a man named Barnabas. Barnabas came, and he, in his heart, wanted to give to the Lord. So he sold his house, gave the proceeds of his house for the church. 
He wasn't looking for approval. He wasn't expecting people to know. He just wanted to do it for the Lord. However, people found out and people said, you know what, this is a great thing that you did. We respect you for doing that. He wasn't showing off. He was doing out of a genuine heart. And Ananias and Sapphira, however, on the other hand, saw how people responded to Barnabas, saw that Barnabas was honored for what he did, decided that they wanted also that same honor and respect for themselves. So what they did is that they lied. They said, you know what, we also sold our house. But they kept the money. They lied. They lied. They gave some of it, but they kept a lot of it. They lied in order to receive honor and respect from men. They were giving all of the wrong heart. They gave, whatever they gave was all the wrong heart. They were looking for honor and respect. They were, they were hypocrites. Now when Peter found out what Ananias and Sapphira did, he said, you know what? You didn't have to sell the house. The house is yours. Before you sold it, it's not yours. But now that you sold it, you lied to gain respect and honor to purchase it with money, you shall certainly be judged for your sin. They were judged and were instantly killed by God at that moment. See, the story cautions us not to be hypocrites within the church of God. We stand, to be we stand in danger of being hypocrites whenever we present ourselves to be someone who we're not, whether in our giving or in our serving. You may give and say, you know what, I did it. But you never mention the person who helped you. You're a hypocrite. Other people helped you to become successful. You're a hypocrite. Whenever you embellish a story in which you're the hero of your story, a hero of the ministry that you did instead of God, you're a hypocrite. Hypocrisy is hated by God because in hypocrisy we're self-righteous. We're self-righteous when we're hypocrite. Ultimately, God judges hypocrisy because hypocrisy is something that stands against the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel says that you're a sinner before God and Jesus Christ made you perfect in Him. He made you perfect. You don't have to work for your own perfection anymore. Hypocrisy says, you know what? I'm going to be perfect on my own. Jesus says, no, you don't have to be. I paid for your sins. Hypocrisy says, I don't need Jesus. I'm good on my own. God hates hypocrisy. God hates it. You see, in Christ, we don't have to be hypocrites because God already made us perfect in Him if we embrace Jesus Christ as our Savior. Now, we live unhypocritically in this way. We live unhypocritically when we admit who we truly are. We admit that we're sinners that sin from time to time, and we need grace of God in our lives to cleanse us from our sins. Even though we still sin, we have a heart for the Lord. That's what we truly are. The Spirit of God has already regenerated us. We have a genuine desire to love God imperfectly, but we do love Him. We do love Him. We do want to do everything for Him. A genuine believer is going to love God and serve God from a genuine heart. This leads us to our second point. First, we saw a hypocrite is the one that functions to be seen by men. True believers, however, has a genuine love for the Lord, so therefore true believers are going to live and serve for God and God alone. True believers are going to live and serve for God and God alone. Let's read here in verse 2 to verse 4. Verse 2, 
Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and the streets, so that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret may reward you. So now as Jesus speaks against the hypocritical lives of the Pharisees, he's now going to give an example of what the Pharisees and the scribes actually did in living hypocritically. They're living hypocritically in the sense that whenever they gave financially, they're giving to be seen by other people. And by showing the life of the hypocrites, Jesus is also declaring to all that those who love God are not going to do this. Those who love God are going to serve God and give for the purpose of pleasing God and God alone. So we see this in verse 2. The, the Pharisees were giving to the poor hypocritically. Now giving to the poor and giving to the needy is commanded in the scripture. It is. It's commanded in the Old Testament law. We see this in Leviticus, or in, first of all, in Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. It says this, Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deeds. God is saying, hey, if you give to the poor, if you give to the poor, you're lending to Jehovah. And God is not going to owe you. He will pay you back. So give to the poor. Leviticus, the passage is, I almost mentioned here, in Leviticus chapter 19, verse 9 through 10, it says, when you reap the harvest of your land, you shall not reap your field right up to the edge, neither shall you gather the gleaning after your harvest. You shall not strip your vineyard bare, neither shall you gather the fallen grapes of your vineyard. You shall leave them for the poor and for the sojourners. I am the Lord your God. What God is saying here, hey, if you're a farmer, that means that you're one of the wealthier people in the land. When you reap the land, don't reap everything. Okay, leave the edges so that when the poor people come, the sojourners come, they're able to gather for themselves and bring it home to them. God's saying, don't be a tightwad with your money. Literally. That's what he's saying. Don't just gather everything. So I gotta, no, leave some. Budget. Budget for generosity in your life. Budget for generosity. Budget for generosity so that when you run to somebody who might be in need, you have some money to give. That's what God is saying here in the Old Testament. Give to the needy, give to the poor, whoever you might run into, be people in your family, people in your community, whoever the Spirit of God leads. Given that the Old Testament commands you to give to the poor, the Pharisees and the Jews, they, they did it. They did it. They did it, however, externally, though. They were doing it for themselves so that they may be benefited from what they're doing. So how did they do it? In verse 2, it says this, Whenever they were giving, they were sounding this trumpet before them. A trumpet. Now, I, I don't know if it's an actual real trumpet. Some people say it's a real trumpet. Um, John Calvin, the commentator, said that they actually had a silver trumpet they blew while they gave. I tend to think that, yeah, I tend to think perhaps it's a more metaphorical, a, a figurative trumpet in the sense that Jesus told us how they gave. They gave on the streets and they gave in the synagogues. Now, giving on the streets is an easy way to be seen. It is. Because people didn't just drive by on the street. They walk on those streets. And the streets were narrow. I've been to Jerusalem, and the streets were narrow. Narrow streets. And you imagine the poor and the needy and the lame were sitting there on the side of the street. All of a sudden, you have a Pharisee that comes by and says, Hey, I'm going to give alms, everybody. 
I'm gonna give alms, and you have the poor and the lame all gather around, everybody in the crowd, and the crowd in the street, and he's just dropping his money into the bowls. And then people were walking by, now they had to kind of get around these people. Oh yeah, he's, he's a generous man. He's a righteous man. Must be a good man. I wish my daughter can marry him. Wow. See, in this religious setting, he's gaining respect for himself. He's purchasing his sin, purchasing it with money. Another way to give is through the synagogues. Now, you can get to be known in that way too. What do you do? Tell the synagogue leader, hey, I'm going to give this money to the synagogue. I'm going to give this money to this place of worship. I want you guys to kind of use it for the needy here and there. Synagogue leader says, wow, you're so generous. We'll do it. Get the work done. People know, hey, how are we able to do this work? Well, because so-and-so gave. Synagogue, what do they do? They even make you a plaque, put it on the wall with your name on it. Everybody knows that you gave. Everybody knows that this work is able to be done. This building this able to be built. The synagogue is able to be built in the city because of your money, because of what you did. You stand as a legend for all future generations to see. So what happens when you give in front of people. You give on the synagogues, you give in the streets. You're going to be rewarded. You're going to be rewarded with the praises of men. It's natural for that to happen. Jesus even says here in verse 2, saying you are going to be rewarded with the praises of men, applauses of men. But you know what? That's all you're going to receive. That's all you're going to receive here in verse 2. It says, Truly, truly, I say to you, they have what? Receive their reward. The word receive here is the same word as what we were using in a trade term, fully receded. Whatever it is that you bargained for, whatever it is that you bought, you're given the receipt for it. The relationship is conducted. Now you go on your separate ways. It's done. Jesus here is saying that if you ever do it for the plazas of men, that's all you're going to get. You can get nothing else. You get no rewards from God. No rewards from anyone else after this. No more. That's all you get. Is it worth it? Nah. Because those who trust in Jesus Christ are going to give and serve differently. What are they going to do? We see here in verse 3 and 4, they say they're going to give and serve what? Secretly. Secretly. Amen. They give and serve secretly in the sense that even their left hand does not know what their right hand is doing. The right hand gives, the left hand doesn't know. The left hand gives, the right hand doesn't know. Now, if your right hand doesn't know what their left hand is doing, then it's very natural for you to assume that nobody else should know either, right? It's really, really hard to clap with one hand. Have you tried? You can't really, you can't do it very loud. Nobody's going to hear you. If your left hand doesn't know, you won't be able to come alongside and clap for yourself. See, even serving in secrecy is that you are the only one that knows, but not just you. God knows. See, there really is no virtue in itself by being secret. Secret is not a virtue. The virtue is the fact that God sees what you do, and you only care about what God sees. God alone is able to motivate you. When God alone is able to motivate you, you're demonstrating to all that God is the most important person in your life. See, by demonstrating that, you're demonstrating that you're a true believer. 
A true believer treasures his or her relationship above any other earthly relationship in this world. And that relationship, the relationship with God, that is, is what motivates him or her. Serving in secrecy, when you have this characteristic in your life, gives to evidence or gives evidence to the fact that you have a genuine relationship with God. God, on the other hand, when He sees you serve in secret and giving in secret, He's going to reward you. And somebody asks, what kind of reward is God going to give to me? Well, all I can say is that Jesus didn't specify here, but God can bless you in both physical ways here in this world and as well as spiritual ways in the life to come. He can bless you in many, many ways. However way that God chooses to bless, I believe the greatest reward for us as believers is the fact that God notices us. It is. God's pleased with us. God says, job well done. Though no one else sees, I see. We're pleased with the fact that God notices us because we're satisfying Him. Our love for God overshadows any other earthly blessings in this world. We just want Jesus. We just want Him. He is our greatest reward. Now, ultimately, as human beings, I want to say this. You're going to be living for approval. You're going to be living for approval because you are created for approval. No matter how much you lie to yourself, I don't care what people think of me. No, you do. You're going to care for somebody to think of you. Either care for God or you care for other people. I want to show you this. I remember one time in my own life in a previous career that I worked in, I was sitting in a break room. A bunch of guys having lunch together, and when guys get together, they want to look tough to each other, you know? Look tough, they're just talking, you know, just saying things. One guy particularly came and just said, you know what, I don't care about what nobody thinks of me. I'm not governed by what other people think. I'm, I'm, I'm my own person. You guys, you guys aren't my friends. You're just my acquaintances, people I work with. I don't care what you guys think either. I'm trying to look tough. I'm trying to look tough. I'm not governed by what other people think of me. In reality, this person cares. Every time I hear someone who says they don't care, I know they care because they try so hard to prove the fact that they don't care to other people. They just want other people to know they don't care. They care because they want other people to know. As years go on, I saw the same thing with this friend of mine. You see, he was never promoted from his job. He was not promoted. He was not given a raise. So year after year, he complained about what? Oh, they didn't assess me right. They didn't look at, they didn't give me the right reviews. They didn't, they didn't see all the work which I do. I thought you didn't care. <laughs> you care. You care. Well, you didn't care what, hap- what, what, what happened after he wasn't uh, promoted. He got what? Got bitter. Got more and more bitter. That's why when people say, I don't care, they're the most bitter people in the world. They care. They care so much that when people didn't think of them as they want them to think of, they got bitter. And it's fine, give the finger and say, I don't care. No, they care. They care. They care very much. You see, everyone is a people pleaser unless you're seeking to please God. You may lie to ourselves, but we're all creatures that are created and live by approval. Now, it's an awful, difficult thing to live by the approval of men. It is. We should never, ever have to live by the approval of men. But the only person that can free us from having to live by the approval of men is who? It's Jesus. It's God. He frees us in this way. He says, I love you. I love you, so therefore you don't need other people's approval anymore because I have already approved you. I have already approved you. 
I've already died for you on the cross for your sins. I've already given you my righteousness. I already made you pure and perfect before God. I already restored your relationship to the Father. You're approved. That's what Ephesians chapter 1, verse 6 says. We're accepted in the Beloved. We have our true identity in Christ. We don't need to have other people give us our identity. We don't have to be like, oh, you're a great musician, you're a great singer, you're a great worker, you're a great whatever. No, we have one identity. We have our true identity, an identity that is stable. We don't ever have to be shaken from it. We're children of God. We have eternal life. And that's never going to be taken away from us. You see, only in this way we can live free. Only in this way we can live free. Only in this way we can live away or free from the approval of men. God already promised to guide us, already promised to take care of us, already promised to lead us in our lives. We don't need much more than that. We don't. We're not going to be bitter when other people don't give what we want them to give to us or say of us. We have God. God's going to take care of us. We serve only one master, which is for Christ. And while we're serving Jesus, we wouldn't have to, it would be impossible for us to live for the approval of other people. Only Christians know what this feels like. Only Christians, those who have a relationship with the Lord, can live in such a way that we don't live for the approval of other people. For this reason, whether you're today, you're serving, working at your secular job, if you live with approval of God, you don't have to be bitter or neglected or feeling like you're mistreated when other people don't notice you. You know that God notices you. You know that God sees you. So you're satisfied in Him and Him alone. You have a mature, mature heart in how you see yourself. You have a mature perspective of yourself. And that is what Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3. It says, for, the, by the grace, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. What he's saying here is that you begin to see yourself as God sees you. Living with maturity means that you know who you are and you know exactly what God requires you to do. And you do exactly that. As long as you complete what God requires of you, as long as you know that you've done it to the best of your ability, as long as you know that you're continually seeking to grow, what other people think of you isn't going to make you overly depressed or sad or influence you in the heart in such a way as if you were going to be all depressed by it or shocked because you're satisfied in the Lord. You know you've done it to the best of your ability. You know that you lived up to God's expectations. So you can live joyfully, satisfied, content with your service, with your work. Ultimately, in Christ, that's how we work as well. We're serving the Lord. Now, when we serve the Lord, whenever our works are seen, what do we do? Other people come to us and say, hey, you did a great job. Thank you for serving in this way. You know, you're serving music or potlucks or children's ministry, and people say, hey, thank you. What do you do? You say, yeah, thank, thanks for, uh, I, I thank you for appreciating me. Thank, I, you say, you know, thank you for being here. I, you know, I love serving the Lord. I, I pray that God receive all the glory. You just give the glory to God. Just respond with that. Give God the glory. Now, on the opposite end, when someone comes to you and critique you and say, hey, I think you can do better, do you get bitter? No. Nah. It'll get bitter. 
You say, yeah, you're right. I can continue to grow. I'm listening. I'm praying. Help me. I'll do it for God and God alone. You respond in humility. That's what it means to do it for the Lord, for God's eyes to see. See, living for God's approval means that our motivation, what drives us, is God and God alone. What God thinks of us and not what other people think of us. We live in the body of Christ here in the same way. And this is drastically different than what happens outside in this world. The world outside, whether it be music, entertainment, different kind of things, your work, it's all about pleasing men. It's about impressing other people. The world which you live in is trapped under the impression that somehow you have to impress. That's what it's all about outside of you. However, believers here in the church, we don't live in that way. We don't. We live for God and God alone. And when unbelievers come here to our church, it is a refreshing aroma to them. When they see they don't have to impress nobody here, there's no need to seek approval here. When they hear the gospel, they come to the point where they would also know that they can receive the greatest approval of all, that is God's approval, if we believe unto Jesus Christ. God's approval is all that is necessary in our lives. God's calling us to live for Him and Him alone. That's what we learn here in this passage. Hypocrites, they live for the praises and approval of men. True believers, however, live for the praises and approval of God. Now, hypocrisy drags all of us down. Hypocrisy drags the entire church down. In the Old Testament, there's a story, when I think about hypocrisy, the story of Achan comes to mind as a pinnacle story of what it means to live as a hypocrite. You see, while the Israelites were commanded to conquer the land of Israel, they were commanded in this particular battle to not to take any spoils from the battle. Don't take any gold, don't take any silver, don't take anything. You're not allowed. Keep your heart pure before the Lord. However, this man, Achan, he took something. He took gold, took silver, he took a beautiful Babylonian garment for himself, thinking that no one's going to know. No one's going to know. I'm just going to... I mean, I deserve something for all my effort. That's what he thought. But as a result, what happened was that God actually caused the Israelites all to pay for his sins. They lost the next battle, the battle of Ai. People were killed in the battle, all because one man had a secret sin in his life. The principle still lays true for us today. We might think the growth of our church here today is going to be dynamic preaching, really good programs. People will come who have impressive social media presence. People will come who have awesome children's ministry. No. No. The growth of this church comes from one thing and one thing only. That is what each one of us does in secret. That's it. Spiritual growth of a church comes from what we are in our secret lives. If we live holy lives in our secret compartments, God will lead us to grow. Now, if we are not, especially if our leaders are not, if we hold on to any sin in our lives, in our private lives, then we stand as an obstacle to God blessing this church. That's the reality. If our secret life matches the gospel which we proclaim, which is that we're living for Him, 
Not that we don't sin, we do sin because the gospel says we're a sinner. We, we still sin from time to time. We're not sinless, but we're repenting of our sins. We're giving it all to God out of genuine love for Him. And I believe that God's going to reward our church with the flourishing of this church. That's the greatest reward. You see, we're fighting to influence our city with the gospel, we're fighting for changed lives, we're fighting for people to come to know Jesus. We are. If we win the spiritual battle which God calls us to fight here, that means that we must have our lives be holy before Him in its secret compartments. Do you want to see people saved? Do you want to see lives changed? Do you? If you do, and that is what we should all desire for our church, because that is the most rewarding thing that we can have here in our church, to see people saved, to see lives changed, to see people come to Christ. We want to experience that here in our church. If we want to do it, then it is worth our every sweat, every blood, every effort to fight for what? Personal holiness. To fight for personal holiness. May our deep and rich relationship with Jesus in our private lives reflect itself in our church and how God mightily use us for his glory here in First Baptist Church of Hollywood. Let's pray. Our Father, we take this passage seriously and we know that hypocrisy is a sin that many of us may struggle with. But Father, may we admit that we're sinners. We don't have to be perfect. It's not what we're called to. We're not people who pretend. None of us really are. But we may, may we embrace Jesus Christ and have him be our Savior today. May we trust in him. May we repent of our sins and say, there is, here's my heart, God. Make it the way you want it to be. I want you more than anything else. Lord, form us, change us, grow us. May we live in such a way that we have a genuine heart for you. Lord, may we grow as a church as a result of our genuine love, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.